You are listening to the Paul Rotundi Show on WRRN, the Rotundi Radio Network. Interesting show planned uh, tonight uh, for talking about um, the campaign trail of President Trump and um, term limits and Mitch McConnell and the situation on the border, as well as things closer to home like the situation with the Nashville airport and the lack of rideshare availability, but the events of the last 48 hours have kind of uh, thrown a wrench into those works. I want to start uh, by expressing my deepest sympathies to the families on Maui in Lahaina and talk about what's not being done. We have a president in Joe Biden who is currently sitting on the beach in Rehoboth at his beach house. And he can't be bothered with putting out a statement expressing sympathy or any kind of empathy whatsoever for the families and the victims of you know, the the horrific wildfires that um, are you know, continuing the rage out of control there. And in his, you know, we get a tweet from President Biden saying how he's laser focused on getting to the bottom of things and hopes that this seven hundred dollar per family. Um, grant how do I put that <laughs> what do you do with $700 you, on, on Hawaii not much what is that one night in a hotel room I, you can't get groceries anywhere because all the grocery stores burn down along with your house you can't get relief supplies because all the marinas burned down. You know, there's no place for them to come in and bring supplies in. Now they have to airlift stuff. But you can't airlift stuff in because the airport burned down. And all Biden has to say about this whole thing is no comment. Contrast that to what President Trump put out on True Social last night. Do we have uh, 
Do we have a clip of that? Two minutes. Two minutes, okay. Um, we're going to have a clip of the um, you know, 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, showing what a actual leader is supposed to do in a time of crisis like this. And this is why, I, you know, we're going to talk about the other shoe that dropped last night and the actions of the Fulton County District Attorney that are the latest in the witch hunt trying to destroy Donald Trump and, by extension, all of us. I'm going to play a clip of President Trump properly addressing the families of the victims in Hawaii. To express my sympathy and warmest regards to the people of Hawaii, and specifically all of those who have been so gravely and irreparably hurt by the tragedy of the wildfires in Maui, something the likes of which have seldom been seen anywhere at any time. The death caused by this Catastrophic event will be far worse than ever expected now that houses and cars and other areas are being inspected. The sad thing is, it should never have happened. Our government was not prepared, and very importantly, the aftermath is going very poorly with the governor of the island wanting to do nothing but blame it on global warming and other things that just happened to pop into his head. When asked about it today, as he was getting into a car, perhaps coming home from the beach, where he has been spending a great deal of time, Crooked Joe Biden, the most incompetent president in the history of our country, with a laugh and a smile, said he had no comment on the death and the tragedy. To say no comment is oftentimes fine, but to be smiling when you say it especially against such a tragedy as this, is absolutely horrible and unacceptable. It is a disgraceful thing that Joe Biden refuses to help or comment on the tragedy in Maui, just as he refused to help or comment on the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, for a very, very long time. In any event, hopefully everyone will be able to pull together so that a horrible situation does not get even worse. To the families affected, I give you my love and sympathy. Nothing can ever replace your loved ones, but you will always have the memories and will feel their great love surrounding and embracing you. Together, we will continue to carry their legacy forward, and I love you all very much. Thank you. See. Now, that is how a president is supposed to speak to the nation, not no comment. And I did that. And, you know, come on, man. It, we're dealing with a sock puppet of a president. I just I you know, we're going to take a quick break um, and set up for the next segment um, but this is Paul Rotundi on WRRN the Rotundi Radio Network
And we're back. Um, folks, just want to preface uh, the rest of the show going forward saying that I am, I am fighting the hay fever and the allergies and um, that come with summertime in central Tennessee. It's got a it's got a hold of my sinuses and my lungs and just doesn't want to let go. However, this show is way too important for to for me to just not do it and you know be comfortable. So I'm going to power through this however I can and however I have to and however many cups of coffee or bottles of water it's going to take to keep my voice lubricated and yeah, we'll get through this. But so let's continue on Maui. Um, the governor of Hawaii is completely useless. He's trying to blame the wildfires on global warming, not the evidence of brush and debris that were wrapped around power lines. Um, it's the same. It's the same kind of situation that we saw a couple of years ago with the wildfires in California, where the there was no brush management. There was no, you know, getting you know, efforts to get rid of the undergrowth and you know do, by controlled burns. They just let it grow out of control. And you guys know. I mean, you you don't take care of your lawn every week around here. You know, you're you're in full pasture, and it dries out and it goes up like this. That's what we're seeing in Hawaii. They, for years, they just let the let the weeds and brush accumulate. They didn't do any kind of management on it, and they were warned that, that something like this was going to happen. And just like we saw in California several years ago with the wildfires pre-COVID that burned most of Northern California. Just like, you know, other wildfire situations that we see in California all the freaking time, you know, because of this, you know, and they're, they're fueled by the Santa Ana winds. We're seeing the same thing in Hawaii. And now the, and they're trying to blame everybody but the people that are responsible. You know, the federal government has done nothing to contact the families. They've done, they're trying to deal with local agencies and the local agencies are, can't do anything because they got, you know, their offices burdened down too. So it's the blind leading the stupid. And Joe Biden is still non-compass mentis. He's still sitting on the beach in Rehoboth on vacation while Maui burns. This is the person that was supposed to have gotten, tw you know, 20 million more votes than um, Barack Obama did in 2012. How is that possible? I can't see it, folks. I, I just can't see it. But my hearts, my heart and my prayers go out to the victims in Hawaii and to their loved ones and to everybody out the first responders that are now trying to have to sift through the wreckage and the rubble and try to piece 
what happened back, you know, together and try to, you know, find closure for the people that, you know, lost family members or uh, loved ones and friends um, out there. All right. Um, Let's shift gears because we need to talk about the other elephant in the room and something that really, really upsets me. Uh, Folks, I don't know if you heard, you know, if you went to bed before 11 11 p.m. Eastern last night, but you woke up this morning, not in the United States of America, but in the Banana Republic of America. Once again, um, a Democrat radical attorney general in Fulton County, Georgia, has indicted President Trump and his lawyers and anybody that was connected with the um, effort to, you know, contest the 2020 election with 19 counts under the RICO statute. And for those of you who don't know, don't know what the RICO statute is, it's, you know, it's racketeering. It's used for organized crime. It's used for mob bosses um, and people in, you know, people in the mafia. You know, people that Rudy Giuliani, ironically, used the same RICO statutes to get John Gotti, to get the Lucchese's, to get the Colombo crime family and clean up New York City. Uh, back in when he was, you know, when he was attorney general before he became mayor of New York during the 80s and used it with great success um, to put away some of the most violent people on the planet. This, I don't know of any polite language that I could use right now because uh, for the attorney general who is Soros funded and has an agenda to run election interference for Joe Biden. It's the only explanation because that is the only explanation that could be that could be reached by this. That they know Joe Biden is going to lose. So they're planning rather than allow the people of this country to choose at the ballot box, they're going to try to eliminate him from the ballot altogether. By saying that, you know, you know, they're going to try to get an indictment. And they brought enough charges that they could probably, you know, that there's enough to there's enough to go around, so that each one of us, within the sound of my voice, could be charged under this. And I think that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They're sending a message to all of us to say, if we can go after them, you're insignificant. We'll we'll roll over you and bury you. If you choose to defy us, I don't know about you folks, but I see that not only as a threat to our very existence, we're at a, we're at a, um, they've crossed the Rubicon. And for those of you who don't know what that expression means is they've taken that step too far. And... People are livid right now because they see what's going on. And 
they're starting to take action. But we're going to take a break because I need to reset and get a glass of water. Uh, but you're on, uh, you're on WRRN right now on the Rotundi Radio Network. And we'll be right back. black boxes they're called telephones I'm gonna let you on a little secret about these telephones they're not gonna dial themselves okay without you they're just worthless hunks of plastic like a loaded m16 without a trained marine to pull the trigger and in the case of the telephone it's up to each and every one of you my highly trained stratonites my killers my killers who will not take no for an answer. And we're back, folks. Um, we're going to lighten things up because most of you know I'm an IT guy. Most of you know I drive Uber. What most of you don't know is that my journey to becoming an IT guy, in the words of Jerry Garcia, was a long and strange trip. But... I think the most interesting part of my rise to IT dumb was my answering an ad for a small NAS startup NASDAQ investment bank named Stratton Oakmont. Some people will recognize that, and for those that don't, um, Leo DiCaprio did a movie back in 2013 where he played the main character of Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, and showed his rise from, you know, a trainee broker at Rothschild right before the crash of 87, and then him taking his first feeble steps to start his um, own firm called Stratton Oakmont in Lake Success, New York. And I was one of the first 50 cold callers and account openers to join the original nine brokers of that firm, including Jordan Belford himself, Kenny Green and Danny Porish, Mad Max Belford, his father, who broke windshields just like in the movie. If you parked in his spot, expected your windshield to be completely caved in before the end of the day. Um... Every time I watch that movie, I have flashbacks because I can literally picture myself at my desk and look around in three, you know, 360 degrees and recognize every single person who sat around me. Um, I remember the trainings that we had from Kenny Green in the morning um, when we got in at six o'clock and worked all day out till 6 p.m. Hawaii time, which East Coast time is midnight. And then we're 
back in the office. It's four o'clock in the morning in the gym because we worked out together. We rehearsed together. We practiced our scripts together. We practiced pitching together. And we worked as a team because, as Jordan explained it, if we did what he did, we said what he said, dressed how he dressed, spent what he spent, sooner or later, the lie would become the truth and we would achieve his level of success. Kind of like, uh, kind of like, well, I don't know what to, to equate it to because there is nothing to equate it to. It's, it's a lie in order to psych up young, impressionable minds to get them to do whatever. It's like being in a cult. And it was a cult of personality. Now, mind you, Jordan is one of the most gifted salespeople in this era. I mean, the guy's straight line sales technique is still used today and quoted by every major sales training um, course that's out there. You know, the same way that brokerages would, um, you know, pull a copy of Sun Tzu's The Art of War on how to deal with people on the phone. You know, the people, the, the person on the other end, the investor on the other end of the phone was the enemy. And you showed them no quarter and you you smile and dial and buy or die. And that was the attitude of the 90s. That was the, that was the prevailing thought pattern among people in brokerage. You know, it wasn't a service. It was a license to print money. And I know a lot of guys that got really, really filthy loaded from that period right before the bubble burst um, in the late 90s, you know, the tech bubble, right before Y2K. And by then, I'd already left that industry gone on a three or four different other industries and finally settled into IT in 94. But by then, you know, the the impressions that I earned, you know, changed me forever. And, you know, when we get back, I want to talk about, you know, some other things, you know, like my experiences as a life insurance agent, you know, for those three months working for MetLife and, um, teaching everybody how to use their computers. But we're on the WRRN radio network, the Paul Rotundi radio network. This is me, Paul Rotundi, and we'll be right back. Just, uh, I tell you, we we are in a we are in a crisis situation because we have 
it's the subject of term limits is something that is way overdue, needs to be talked about, needs to be addressed. Because as we saw last week, um, we have people who are leading, you know, as senators and as representatives, people who are in their 80s, who are out of touch with the goings on of the people that elected them. And to be quite frank, uh, they're, they're, what do you call it? They're, uh, they're putting themselves in jeopardy. You know, we saw this past week that Mitch uh, McConnell um, had a situation where he's at a press conference and he, for lack of a better word, stroked out. Uh, we're on a path to finishing the NDA uh, this week. It's been good bipartisan cooperation and a string of uh, and right here he just kind of zones out and for those people who didn't see the vehicle he just kind of like disappeared into his own mind and his okay Mitch anything else you want to say I'm sure let's go back to it do you want to say yeah, anything? People are asking him, you know, on a hot mic, they're asking him, are you okay? You know, is there anything else you want to, you want to talk about? Um, but yeah, it's in the same situation with Biden, with, you know, all these other, like Feinstein, like Janet Yellen, um, people who are so out of touch with, you know, with what's going on in this country. And there's a second soundbite and, you know, that I want to play um, that people in his own home state of Kentucky want him to retire. And you can hear him droning on underneath as if nothing is going, nothing in the crowd is phasing him. You know, like he's not hearing what his, you know, his own supporters are saying. He just keeps blathering on. He's like oblivious. You know, but I guess that's to be expected from, you know, people of that generation that are still in, you know, still in public office. You know, they get there because. They, nobody nobody has any, you know, they don't know who to vote for. And there's no challengers because the establishment you know, on both sides, you know, because this is not just a Republican thing. It's not just a Democrat thing. It's an entire electorate thing. We need term limits. And ironically, last night, while I was out Ubering, um, I met a, met a gentleman by the name of Glenn, um, who is one of the founders of the Convention of States um, Action Committee. And we were talking uh, while I was driving him up into, um, into Old Hickory. Uh, 
And we were talking about the subject of term limits. And I mentioned that, you know, the, the perfect number would be 12 years, which would be two terms as a senator or six terms as a member of the House of Representatives. And he said that that is exactly what they are looking to do, looking to propose, because if they can get the support of 34 states, they can call a convention of states, at which time each state in the union sends a delegation to talk about um, creating amendments to the Constitution, such as for term limits, such as for balanced budget, such as for you know any of the issues that we're struggling um, with now, especially debt ceiling. You know, that they can force the federal government to stop printing money like it's going out of style. You know, they can they can arrest the inflation. They can reverse the inflation by reducing the amount of money in the system. It's simple economics, folks. But yet Janet Yellen is oblivious to this. And she was on CNN uh, yesterday or over the weekend talking with a CNN anchor about the gas prices. And the CNN anchor says, you know, gas prices is at a 10-month high and um, that it's, you know, highest we've seen, you know, you know, it's a 385 across the country. And Janet Yellen's like, yeah, but we're still off. A, we're still off a dollar 20 from the all time high. So just like no clue. So um, I think we need to um, we need to do whatever we have to to support um, the actions of organizations like this, you know, the Convention of States and. I'm going to give you their website right now. Um, it's conventionofstates.com, all one word. And they have a position up for term limits. And I think that's something we all need to um, all need to fill out, all need to put our names to, because term limits will correct a lot of the issues that we're seeing now. It'll allow us the opportunity to get fresh ideas in the government to prevent dynasties, you know, prevent people from making their entire career politics. And, you know, need to process this because, you know, it's it's some it's a long time coming. We, we really need to address this before it's too late. You're listening to Paul Rotundi, the new voice of Nashville on WRRN. back, folks. Uh, this is Paul Rotundi once again on WRRN, the Rotundi Radio Network. 
And I want to talk about something that kind of got under my skin on Saturday night. And I think I've I think I've said it before that, you know, in addition to my day job, I drive for Uber. Um, you know, in my copious amount of free time. And, you know, complete with eye roll and everything else. But last night, uh, well, Saturday night, I'm, I had just picked up a passenger and she needed to go from South, you know, like 12 South to uh, 4th and Broadway. And it's about 11 o'clock, 11, you know, 11, 11 o'clock, 1115. And I'm inching my way along with everybody else north on 4th Avenue. And I just passed Demonbrin and I'm passing the food trucks. And we're about 25 yards away from the corner of 4th and Broadway. And traffic stops. And my writer says, you know, hey, hey, Paul, um, would it be okay if I got out here and just walked the rest of the way? He says, yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, it's not that big of a difference. You know, it's what, 75 feet? I mean, it's no big deal. I said, you know, I thanked her, you know, for being a great passenger and, you know, um, as she got out of the car and, you know, disappeared into the crowd. And I, I have my next pickup is on 3rd and Commerce. So I've got to cross Broadway and I'm three car lengths away from the corner of 4th and Broadway. And all of a sudden, every metro cop in the city descends on 4th and Broadway, starts moving traffic cones around and says, nope, you got to turn around. It's like, what? I'm like, you got to be kidding. I'm inches away from crossing Broadway. And they're like, nope, you got to turn around. And, I'm, and I asked the officer, it's like, it's like, you're kidding, right? And he's like, and he says to me, if you can't follow a simple direction like that, then maybe you don't need a license. I'm like, what the actual F? It's like, dude, you represent the city of Nashville and you're going to talk to, you know, people like that. It's like, I don't, I don't even, I should have asked for the guy's badge number and, you know, publicly outed him, you know, and, you know, expected the retribution to start. Um, but, you know, it's that kind of thing that makes people who drive for Uber and Lyft and, you know, other rideshare services not want to do it anymore. And, the, and that is a big problem because right now, the only thing standing between the collapse of tourism in this city and getting people down to Broadway so that they can frequent all the, you know, all the bars and restaurants and hockey tonks and, you know, get the Shermerhorn and Bridgestone and Ryman and all of the venues are people like me and your other Uber drivers and Lyft drivers in the city and the cab drivers who are out there 24-7 doing their job and, you know, putting their lives on the line and, you know, risking, you know, risking getting into accidents and, you know, because the infrastructure is just not there. Um, we're out there, you know, 
at all hours of night to make sure that you can get to your destination safely. And I want to talk about, you know, the way I see it, you know, coming from New York City, you know, I've, I've mentioned before that I'm born and raised Long Island, lived in New York City proper for th- over 30 years, and I'm used to a certain level of mass transit um, being available to people, especially in a city, you know, the size of New York. The problem is Nashville is trying to be New York, New York's southern cousin, and they got delusions of grandeur. You're trying to you're trying to increase. I mean, you look at you look at the skyline of Nashville, how it's changed in the last ten years. You know, so I'm told. You know, all the skyscrapers going up. All the I mean, you just drive on Broadway. I mean, half of Broadway is closed right now to for construction. You know, the the surrounding area of you know it's like Demonbrun's closed. You know, Commerce is closed. You know unions closed i mean how many how many streets and side streets i mean you can't get buses up you know in in and out of the area you can't get i mean there's no train you know there's no subway there's no light rail in or out of the city to you know take the burden off the roads so you're relying on people who are driving their own vehicles you know at their own expense to ferry passengers in and out of in and out of Nashville from all points in central Tennessee. I should know because I've put 30,000 miles on my car in the last 4 months. You know, the way I see it, we need light rail matching the footprint of I-24 from Murfreesboro all the way up through the I-24 corridor, you know, to take care of um, Murfreesboro, Antioch, Sparta, um, Laverne, um, Nolansville, um, you know, the, the Nolansville Pike area, and you know, start getting on the Lafayette and you know, up through that way. We need light rail on the 65 corridor, you know, to service Franklin and Brentwood and Green Hills and you know, all of the more affluent areas, all the way down to Spring Hill and Columbia. We need. We need to get that last train from Clarksville out of Mothballs, and you know, get Mickey Dolan's, you know, to drive that, tra- you know, drive that train, and you know, Casey Jones, and you know, you know, get the I twenty four North corridor um, going, um, and you know, be able to transport people in and out from that route, and we need, you know, light rail on I forty. I'm in both directions to transport people from Cookville all the way through Lebanon and Mount Juliet and, you know, points east of the city in from the east and, you know, and likewise the west. But I want to talk about, I want to continue to talk about that. And I want that to be one of the main points of this show is trying to get some action going. Um... But, you know, we're going to take a break real quick and um, we'll be right back.
I want to lighten things up a little bit and talk about uh, um, while all of the nonsense is going on in Fulton County, Georgia, and New York City, and D.C., and the whole, you know, Jack Smith, you know, thing, President Trump is still out on the campaign trail talking talking to the every you know everyday people just like us and i want to play for you some of the highlights from his most recent rallies in you know um new hampshire and elsewhere and we're going to start with his comments uh to that i alluded to last week um about chris christie you just got to hear it far ahead we're at 59 percent and the others are at like 12 one is at 12. I think that's the sanctimonious, but he's rapidly being caught by Ramishwamy. Who's good? No, no, Christie's he's eating right now. He can't be bothered. <laughs> Sir, please do not call him a fat pig. That's very disrespectful. Don't call him. See, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Don't call him a fat pig. You can't do it. You can't do that. And I, I, is that not hysterical or what? I mean, he's telling the person, don't call him a fat pig. Don't call him a fat pig. But yet at the same time, he's calling him a fat pig by addressing the person in the audience, calling him a fat pig. It's like, it's, it's genius. It, he's operating on such a higher level than everyone else in the field. And, you know, I just want to... You know, start with, you know, go on to um, what he said about Joe Biden and the Biden crime family, um, you know, up in New Hampshire. Or in the position, you'll always be there as long as I have anything to say about it. Joe Biden is the most incompetent and corrupt president in U.S. history. The Biden crime family was taking in money from China. Ukraine, Russia, all these places he has to deal with, and so many others. And now whenever more Biden corruption is exposed, his henchmen charge me with a crime. You know, when they get something on Biden, oh, let's indict, let's add on another indictment to that stupid indictment that we filed. Let's add on another one, because that takes the news cycle. Unfortunately, I get disproportionate publicity. So they indict me, <laughs> he's right, great balls. But so they end up. So when they want to keep something, they say, oh, man, they got Hunter again. You know, at some point, Joe is going to have to say, you know, the sun thing just isn't working out. Do you agree? The sun thing. The sun thing's not working out too good. It, all he had to do is pick up the laptop. Didn't the guy call him like 11? Pick up your laptop. Pick up your laptop. I, I wonder where that cocaine came from. What happened? That was the quickest investigation I've ever seen. Yeah, how is that possible? I, the Secret Service. These are the peop, These are the best of the best of the best of the best. Like MIB level people. You know that. You know the first, last, and only line of defense against the people that want to do the president harm, and they can't figure out after a week. Who left the cocaine at the west at the in the West Wing? They just gave up. They said, "Oh, we can't, we can't, um, you know, we can't conclude 
definitively whose cocaine it was. We all know whose cocaine it was. I mean, there's a, there's a certain list of everybody who comes in and goes out of the West Wing. You start with that list, and then you whittle it down from there. When did you find it? It's like, come on, people. We don't need to be rocket scientists to do detective work. Especially not if you're a member of the Secret Service. And whoever was on duty those two, I mean, you know, within that time frame needs to come forward because somebody knows exactly whose cocaine it was. And I'll give you two I'll give you two guesses. They start with Hunter and end in Biden. You know, it's not that obvious, folks. It's not that you know, but I want to get to, you know, the real reason why President Trump is running. And, you know, I just want to go over his platform and I'll let him talk about it. In 24, I have no idea how important it is. It's our final battle. It's our final real big battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. We will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media. We will defeat crooked Joe Biden, and we will drain the swamp once and for all. See, that is a platform. And honestly, you know, if I'm sure, you know, hindsight being 2020, no, no pun intended, hindsight being 2020, had President Trump known what was about to happen in on January twenty uh, January twenty first, twenty seventeen, he would have fired everyone in the federal government and started over. Because that's what he's going to do when he's inaugurated on January twenty first, twenty twenty five, is fire everybody. You know, anybody who may have donated at one point in their life to a Democrat is going to get axed. They have to because the purge needs to happen and it needs to happen now. And I, for one, can't wait to see it. I'm going to have my popcorn and my soda and kick back in an easy chair and watch and laugh because it, it'll be about time. But anyway, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, and when we get back, we're going to talk about something else. This is Paul Rotundi again on the WRRN Rotundi Radio Network. folks we're back and i'm actually you know i was thinking about something in the during the station break and it got me hungry and most people would say well that's not a surprise for you paul it's you know it's kind of you 23 hours and 59 minutes out every day it's like you're perpetually hungry you know it's you're a machine 
It's like, no, but I had, I, I, what do you call it? I was thinking about barbecue. And the differences between New Yorkers' idea of barbecue and people here in the South's idea of barbecue. You know, obviously people here in the, here in the South, you know, it's all about smoking and getting that rich, deep flavor profile and building the sauce, building, you know, building the binder, building the sauce, building the rub, setting up layer after layer after layer after layer of flavor. And yes, I'm drooling, folks, because, well, yeah. But, you know, people in the Northeast, you know, our, you know, it's like, you know, growing up, you know, our idea of having a barbecue was taking some burgers, taking some hot dogs, slapping them on a grill, highest heat you could possibly imagine, you know, stuff, you know, for, you know, people in my generation, you know, that, you know, were watching TV and watching Tim, Tim Allen with the Home Improvement Show, you know, that, that long running series he had on ABC, you know, that episode that he had, you know, where he set up the grill in, in his studio and, you know, he wanted to grill a steak. And he throws a steak on the grill and he, he you know, t- tells the crowd, says, well, what do we need? And they all yell out, more power. And he flips the, he flips the, um, he flips the grill on and this wall of flame shoots up from the grill, completely obliterating the steak that's sitting there. And he turns it on for like five, 10 seconds and then shuts it off, flips the steak over, turns it back on again. And this wall of flame is like, you know, something coming out of the back end of a F-14, you know, on afterburners. It's just this humongous wall of, you know, wall of fire, just absolutely consuming this steak. And, you know, you look at it, you know, they take it, they slap it on a plate. They, you know, it's completely charred on the outside and completely raw on the inside. That, my friends, is New Yorker's idea of a medium, a, a, a rare steak. That's, you know, that that's, you know, something that basically still has the marks on it where the jockey was hitting it kind of thing. And I'm coming to find out that, you know, down here, obviously, y'all don't do that. You know, we take, you know, we take our time. We slow roast and smoke all the meats, no matter what it is, you know, whether it's, you know, pork or beef or lamb or venison or um, elk or bison or whatever it is. It's low, slow, 10, 12 hours and you babysit the thing, you know, and spray it down and you whisper sweet nothings to it over you know, over a course of, you know, eight, 10 hours and you get up at three o'clock in the morning and start the coals going, you know, you, you lovingly prepare these briskets and pork shoulders and Boston butts and, you know, St. Louis style ribs and beef ribs and, you know, whole silver sides and, oh my God. God, I'm starving now. 
<laughs> I, you know, it's like, but you know, you, you, you take him and you put him in this, you know, wood, you know, wood-fired smoker, and I was, I happened to be Ubering last night, and I had the owner of Noble's Noble's Bar and Grill in my car, and we start talking grilling and barbecuing and you know I, I happen to look and under his stairs at the location um, up in um, East Nashville uh, near um, the pizza place I can't it's near five corners um, they had hickory stacked underneath the stairs you know it's like you know at least eight or ten cords worth of, you know, hickory locks, all split just the exact same size, and, you know, just perfect. And we start talking grilling, and we start talking barbecuing, and, you know, how they prepare their meats, and how they've been doing it for, you know, for years, and now they're up to, you know, nine, ten locations around Nashville. And... You know, it's just, it, I, I'm dying to get up there when I have, you know, when I have a break, if I'm in the neighborhood, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to eat and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat and eat and eat. And then I'm going to come and do a commercial for them for nothing. You know, it's just, because, <laughs> but, it's the name of the place. It, um, Nobles. Nobles. Hey, we, we got a, we got a, what do you call it? You know, it's like I got to do a live show one time from from Nobles. You know, just me sampling, you know, side A of the menu, and then the next week will be side B. But yeah, we can do it. We can do that, and I think we will. But you know, it's, I mean, right now, I'm going to end the show here, folks. It was an absolute pleasure to be with you this um, this Tuesday again. Um, we'll talk more next week, but until then, this is Paul Rotundi signing off on the WRRN Rotundi Radio Network. Have a great week, folks. Good night.